said, mate. I always find it funny when I go and spend time with another church and the church leader starts talking about Alpha a lot. But then when he asks, has anyone actually done Alpha? That's a real judge if the church does Alpha. So I was glad to see lots of you with your hands up. Um, but like Ed said, I'm Sam. I head up Alpha for the south and east of England. Um, whoever described my job as the south of England does, did not do geography at school. Because I cover from Peterborough down to Land's End, including all of the Channel Islands. And the Peterborough definitely doesn't count as the south of, south of England. So um, it's a joy to actually be in the south. So thank you for having me. Um, when I prepare a talk and whenever I um, get asked to come and speak somewhere, I always go through my talk with my amazing wife, Izzy, beforehand, because out of everybody I know, I know she's going to be the most honest and brutal with me. So we did the run I wrote this up, we did the run through, but as I was reading, I was like squinting, having to look over my glasses to try and actually read what I'd written. And it got to the end and Izzy had been like smirking at me throughout the talk and I was like, is it that bad? And it got to the end, and I just took my glasses off and was like, that was so difficult to read. I think I need to go back to Specsavers. And she just burst out laughing at me. I was like, was it that bad? And her response was, no, you're wearing my glasses. <laughs> so before we left for this weekend, Izzy was like, make sure you pack the right glasses, make sure you can read what you've written. Um, but let me tell you a bit about kind of how I got to working for Alpha. It was a Sunday evening like this, and it was kind of the, the cool service, the good lighting, a nice environment, and I was stood at the back of church, and everybody around me was worshipping with their hands in the air, praising God like this. And I was that, that new Christian guy that kind of just like swayed side to side, maybe put my hands out in front of me. But something happened to me that evening that prompted me to start worshipping with my hands in the air. <clears throat> so I put my hands up, started worshipping, and there's a worship song that says, when our praise goes up, our walls come down. And in that moment, I fell apart. I couldn't stop crying and crying and crying. And I, I wouldn't describe those tears as sad tears, and I wouldn't describe them as happy tears. They're just an overwhelming sense of love happening in my life in that moment. And when I look back on that moment, it reminds me of um, when Peter realized that he denied Jesus three times. And it said that when he realized what he'd done, he cried bitterly. And I think that's what it was. I'd like, yes, I denied Jesus in those really low times and the bits that were a struggle and hard for me. But I'd also denied him in those amazing times and the successes in my life and the joyful moments that he wanted to be a part of. But let me tell, I think it's helpful for me to tell you about how I got to that point. So I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I grew up my family, I'd say a Catholic community. Um, we'd go to church at Christmas, Easter. I made my first communion, but really my family just did it to have a party. And it kind of did, the only time I said the word Jesus was potentially stubbing my toe, and that's probably as far as that went. But my mum and dad got divorced when I was two years old, which then meant that I was growing up in a fatherless home. And look, my mum is the best mum in the world. Like she is the best, like she is the best mum in the world. Um, but it was hard growing up without a dad in the home. And then when I got to 14 years old, my 15-year-old friend took her own life. So I'm 14 years old, now trying to wrestle through whatever that meant. What, how do I deal with that? How do I even find the words to comprehend how I was feeling? Skip to being 18, decided to go to university, went to the University of Chichester to study to be a PE teacher. But when I got to university, um, I'd started smoking weed after my friend passed, 
And then when I got to uni, that, that habit that I had became a daily occurrence. I was smoking weed every single day. So that meant when I went out at the weekends, we'd do other things. I'd take cocaine and MDMA and anything you can imagine. That was the life I was living. But I had a friend who was from Southampton. We didn't know each other beforehand. And he was on the same course as me. We hung out quite a bit. But he wasn't doing drugs. He wasn't um, causing fights in bars, which I tended to love to do whilst I was at uni. He was just there, but not participating in everything that we were doing. I was like, bro, what is your deal? And he was like, I'm a Christian. Really smiley face. I was like, yeah, nice. <laughs> and that's as far as that conversation went for five years. And I, we, we stayed friends, but I left university, decided not to teach considering I was doing drugs and go to work in recruitment in London. And whilst in London, um, was, was doing well as my earnings went up, so did the excess of my life. I was searching for affirmation again in drugs, in women, in partying. My Instagram was where I was getting my joy and affirmation. But then I moved back to Southampton after a relationship breakdown. And my friend had started this thing called Bridge the Gap Football, um, which then led to me going to play football with him. A group of guys just loving, loving each other, not having like an overly... Um, toxic environment playing football, just a good space to be. And then I snapped my elbow, which then meant I couldn't go to play football anymore on a drunk night out. Um, so then that friend said, hey, mate, you've got nothing else to do with your time. Why don't you come and try Alpha? So first week came, it was like, bro, are you coming? I was like, no. Second week came, bro, are you coming? No. Third week came, hey, bro, I'm coming to pick you up. You're coming to Alpha tonight. He picked me up, drove me to Alpha, and he went in and did whatever church team do before a, a Christian course. And I just sat in the car and said, if I see anybody with sandals and socks, anyone throwing incense about, any robes, any misconception that I had of what church looked like, I was not work, walking into church that evening. Luckily, there was enough normal people like me that walked in. And I did Alpha, and I, week three, why did Jesus die for us? The topic of forgiveness, I was like, oh gosh, this is heavy stuff. But over the weeks, I did this course, learned who Jesus was, that he loved me. And it came to that evening when I stood at the back of church and encountered the Holy Spirit. I gave my life to Jesus. That friend I met in 2014 then baptized me in 2021. That's the biggest part of that story is that I met a friend at university who continued to invite me no matter how many times I said no. Everything I do in my job is due to the conviction that I believe that everybody should come to know the transformative love of Jesus. For me, I was that person who kept banging on about his faith when he became a Christian. I kept telling everyone about it. You all know one. You're prob if you don't know one, you're that person. But let's be honest, it's tough sharing our faith. It's not easy, and sometimes it can be complicated, and there are times we just don't know how to do it. So I want to look at an encounter that happened in the Bible, and look at a group of friends, and learn three things about these friends. Firstly, they were intentional. Secondly, they were ordinary. And thirdly, they were tenacious. So the passage we're going to look at is Luke 5, 17 to 25. And if any of you know this passage already, you're going, why is, if he's talking about Alpha, why is he talking about a passage on healing? But what I want us to notice is how these actions of a, group of a group of friends made on this person's life. So let's look, verse 17. 
One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Skip to verse 25 and it says, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. So let's focus on, who, on what those friends did. Firstly, they were intentional. In verse 18, the people who I probably would imagine were the paralyzed men's friends, families, um, colleagues even, decided to take their friends to Jesus. They took their friend to Jesus. They didn't sit and wait for their friend to ask to be taken to him, nor were they sat there going, Lord, I pray today. If you give me the opportunity to share my faith, but, 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 but Lord, only if it's your will. Like, if you don't want me to, it's fine. Only if it's your will will that happen today. There was none of that. Their belief and their faith in him meant so much and was so strong that they couldn't just sit and wait for their friend to ask to be taken to Jesus. They took him to Jesus. I can imagine the conversation might have gone something like, hey, you need healing, I know a guy that can heal you, but he'll also transform your life. When we're in close and intimate relationship with Jesus, not only does our desire to be like him grow, our desire is to see others meet with him grows. So firstly, they were, all, they were intentional. Secondly, they were ordinary. I want you to notice what Luke writes here. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Some men. We shouldn't gloss over this part. This isn't something that Luke wrote for us to miss. What he's reminding us is it wasn't the really extroverted people. It wasn't the really confident people, the people who stood at the front with a microphone or the people that seem really churchy that invited their friend to Jesus. Some men took their friend to Jesus. There is no qualification that is needed to bring people to the feet of Jesus except the belief that he will meet with them, change their lives through his transformative love. There is also no qualification that the paralyzed man needed to have. There was no qualification that I needed to have to be brought to know Jesus. And we read this a lot in the Bible when Jesus meets with those who do not know him. They're usually the furthest thing away from a Christian. I was sniffing cocaine and I was brought to the feet of Jesus. Throughout the, um, Pete Gregg in his book, Dirty Glory, writes this. When we accept people as they are and get this, where they are, they can be changed into something new as they are and where they are. Just like the paralyzed man in the physical and spiritual need, he was taken to the son of God and was made into something new by people like you and I. 
throughout the Bible and church history is ordinary people like you and I that God chooses to work through. You may discount yourself of being the person that God, God won't use me to bring that person to know Jesus. I'm telling you tonight, he wants to use you to bring people to know Jesus. So secondly, they were ordinary. Thirdly, they were tenacious. In verse 19, we read in verse 19, when they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd and everything that was going on around them, they did not let it stop them. They did not let the busyness of the world get in the way of their friend meeting with him. So what did they do? They ripped off the roof and lowered him to the feet of Jesus. They didn't sit, they didn't wait. They were so desperate for their friends to meet with Jesus, they ripped off the roof. It feels like we can't invite our friends and our family to Alpha or to church because they're too busy. They're too busy with exams, they're too busy with work, they're too busy with whatever they're dealing with in their life. Ask yourself this question. If your love for Jesus and your faith and the belief that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose again and that we have eternal life by him conquering death, why wouldn't you want others to hear that and meet with him? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a second. Think back to the, your first encounter with Jesus. As you sat at his feet and they told you he loved you and it changed everything for you. How amazing is it that your friends and family can have that too? You can bring your friends and family to that place of encounter. You can do this by inviting them to church. You can do it by inviting them to Alpha on the 25th of January in Exeter on a Wednesday evening. By doing that, you are ripping off the roof and lowering your friend to the feet of Jesus. And when we do this, guess what happens? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he doesn't say when Jesus saw the paralyzed man. He says their faith, plural. Meaning the friends who carried and lowered him to Jesus. Luke is reminding us and teaching us the key part that your invitation plays when you invite somebody to church or to Alpha. You've heard my story of how an invitation led to my transformation but I want to tell you a bit about my friend James and Ellie and what happened to them. So my friend invited me to Alpha and my life was changed. And then I became part of um, Bridge the Gap, which I know you guys run here in Exeter. Woo! Um, that was a really, really low woo. <laughs> um, so my friend then got... So James, to give you a bit of background, young professional, um, doing very well in work for his age, making good money and everything that the world sees as a, a successful life. And he had a relationship breakdown, um, which led to him going a bit chaotic. He'd go out more. He started doing drugs and partying, sleeping about and doing everything. I have asked if I can share this story. Um, and living this life. And then he got invited to play football with us. And I got the, the pleasure to spend time with James every Monday night. We'd hang out, we'd go for a beer, we'd grab an occasional coffee. And we'd just spend time getting to know each other over the months. 
And then Alpha came, which I was leading at my church. And I was just thinking, I'm the head of the South of England. If I haven't invited to anybody to Alpha, I'm in trouble. So I text James. I was like, mate, Alpha's starting tonight. Come along, be on my table. We'll share some foods and we'll enjoy it. And he was like, okay. I was like, that was the easiest invite I've ever had to give. And he came and did Alpha. And guess what? He didn't become a Christian. He then came back on the next Alpha course and he was helping as just a helper, bringing teas and coffees to the groups. And during that Alpha course, he was asked, how would you describe Jesus, James? And he goes, I'd probably describe him as a mutual friend. All of my friends are talking about him and how great he is and what an amazing bloke he is. But I just haven't made the decision to add him as a friend yet. I was like, wow. But then James came to focus and whilst that focus gave his life to Jesus. The awkward thing for James was he had to then go home and tell his girlfriend that he'd become a Christian. They hadn't been dating for long, but she was like, that's amazing, I can see the difference in you. And then Ellie started to come along to Alpha, started to come along to church, joined my wife and I's small group. And about a month ago, she gave her life to Jesus as well. So why do I share this story about James and Ellie? Because in 2019, an invitation led to my transformation. My transformation then led to the multiplication through James and Ellie. Invitation leads to transformation. And transformation can lead to multiplication. What does that look like for you guys here in Exeter? What does that look like in your halls, in your house, in your workplace? What can the multiplication be across this city? The most exciting part, I believe, as a Christian is joining in with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And in fact, it's the Holy Spirit that takes us from observation to participation. I feel like at times we can watch other people do the invitation. We can watch other people step out in faith and be brave and be bold. But the Holy Spirit takes us from observation to participation. So when we participate in what the Spirit is doing, again, like the friends we've read about this evening, following a prompting in their heart and a trusting in their faith that Jesus would heal their friend, we see a life healed and transformed. Because in verse 25, we read, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been laying on and went home praising God. He went home praising God. The man was taken to Jesus in need, not knowing him, and left praising him. When you invite people to church in Alpha, you're taking them from a a place of pain, a place of maybe emptiness, or actually just in a place of not knowing what this thing called life is all about. You are then lowering them from the roof to the feet of Jesus. But remember this, He is just as much in church on a Sunday, in your conversations at work, in your class, in your house. He's just as much there as he was in that room that evening through his Holy Spirit. Guess what? It's not all on your shoulders for people to become Christians. It's not our job to convert people. And I think this is probably one of the biggest and mis- the biggest misconceptions that there is when it comes to evangelism or sharing your faith. And I know when I say that word evangelism, people start to shiver and be like, mm, not me. 
but it's the biggest misconception that we have. Because we read in the Great Commission where it says, this is, we all know this part, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Yet we get that bit really important. Go and, go and be disciples of all nations. But this last bit, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. And surely I am with you always. Jesus is always with you through his spirit. When you invite somebody, he is with you. When you text somebody and invite them to church or Alpha, he is with you. When you're having a conversation in your halls, he is with you. On his book on priesthood, Bishop Stephen Cottrell writes this. But it is not, your jo- it is not the job of the minister to convert people. They will always fail. Conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit. Rather, the vocation is to be a storyteller, a witness to God's story in their own lives. To be a messenger delivering the invitation that comes direct from Christ. To be a living signpost whose own lives direct others to the way of Christ. And to trust the God who converted them will convert others. This morning, um, I hadn't... I hadn't prepared to say this, and this morning um, God gave, reminded me of a TED talk that I watched a while ago. And I don't watch many TED talks, and especially one on classical music. Um, and this TED talk is the subject of it is that everybody loves classical music; they just don't know it yet. I'm like, okay, I'll give this a watch. As it went on, it, it blew my mind because at the end of it, he says. The biggest thing when it comes to classical music and the the misconceptions that people have around it is the way that people describe it to other people. They say, if we describe classical music with shiny eyes, people start to be intrigued and listen to it. I kind of think that's what it, it means to be a Christian and to share our faith with Jesus. To be a living signpost to Jesus is to have shiny eyes that point people towards him. Our job is to be a witness of God's love. Our job is to be a messenger and to deliver an invitation. Then to trust God to meet with them through his spirit, just as he did us. And as we come into land, I want to give you three practical tips that I was given um, that a non-Christian is thinking about when you invite them to Alpha or church. When I reflect on it, it it's actually probably what what I was thinking when I received the invitations. The first one is, our invitation matters to us, and so do they. When we give our invitation to church and to Alpha, like, I don't just want to focus on Alpha, like, when you invite people to church or even into your home, it's the way that you do it, that they can see that it matters to you that they come and they're part of the journey that you're about to go on. Like the text I sent James of, like, hey, mate, would love you to come and be on my table. We're going to share food, we're going to watch a video, and we're going to have those conversations that you always ask me after a couple of beers. And I can see that, it, that them being part of that journey matters to you. The second thing is they can see Jesus in us without knowing it's Jesus. That's what it means to be a living signpost to Christ. That's what it means to have shiny eyes for people to see something in you without knowing it's him. For your language, the way that you love others, the way that you have hope when there is times of no hope, the way that you see the world differently, your generosity. They can see Jesus in you without knowing it's him. 
And then thirdly, if they say no, it's okay. You still love them. My friend invited me for five years. He continued to run after me. He continued to love me. He continued to invite me because it mattered to him that I have that encounter with Jesus. It's scary being invitational. It's scary sharing our faith. I know it. I've had so many no's. I was saying this morning that um, I've invited my barber so many times that I think he gave me a dodgy haircut once because I'm inviting him too much. But it's fine. Because surely I'm with you always till the ends of the age. We've done lots of research around invitation at Alpha. um, And you've probably heard this stat before, but 94% of the people that come to Alpha or a church gathering will come from personal invitation. There's a bigger stat is that if you walk in the building with them, they're more likely to come. It can't be me or Ed or a select few people here that invite people. It's all of us. 94% of the people that come to Alpha come from a personal invitation. And I like this stat. I'm a glass half full type of guy. One in six people say yes to doing Alpha. I happily invite six people. It only takes six people for one person to come. I'm, that, I'm good for that. We can't rely on banners. We can't rely on Instagram posts. We can't rely on people stumbling across our church website. Our lives need to be living signposts to Christ. So to finish, John Tyson, an American pastor who spoke at Focus last summer, if you were there, says this. Throughout our days, we should be aware of what the Father is doing through his spirit. So if you're able, would you like to join me in standing as the band comes up? Just this, these wordings of throughout our days, we should be aware of what the Father is doing through his spirit. As I said, my, the most exciting part about being a Christian is following the promptings from the Holy Spirit, just like those friends did as they carried their friend to Jesus. So I want to ask you this question. Who is he putting on your heart right now? Who can you pick up and carry to the feet of Jesus? And secondly, who can you join in with that the Holy Spirit is already working in? So why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? And if it helps you concentrate, maybe put your hands out in front of you of just a, a sign to God that you're open to hearing from him. You want to receive a prompting from his spirit.